You're listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. This talk was given at 2212 South Broad Street. For more information, visit us at circleofhope.net. I want to talk for a little bit about this um, new creation theme we've been working with since Christmas. Um, It's about the regenerative work that God is doing in the world right now. Even when it seems like everything is falling apart or dying, something else is happening. And that something else is about a new creation forming, giving birth, or popping up through frozen ground, kind of like these tiger lily bulbs that Jimmy planted here. Just a couple weeks ago to put outside on our streetscape. Coming through. I think it's a good symbol for what's happening in us right now as a whole church. Something new is happening that has life and beauty and hope that extends beyond us in our individual circumstances. I think one of the greatest things that happen that happens when we relate to God and realize this ongoing new life in Christ is that it it breaks down it can break down our sense of loneliness. And that's what I want to explore with you today. This process of becoming a new creation um, helps us to actually see how we are intrinsically connected to God and to all of creation. And I think this can be a really healing revelation that brings a lot of peace. But even more than that, God thinks so highly of us that we're invited to be part of this regenerative work in the world. So it doesn't just, it's not something that just happens to us, um, or something that we can observe, but, um, we're invited to participate in God's work with us, with others. And that allows us to experience how not alone we really are and how connected we are. So that's that's the transformation that I want to explore with you. I actually grew up feeling pretty lonely. Oh, Kev, I lost my clicker. Can you give us that slide? Thank you. Um, this is this is me as a little toddler with my dog, my um, extensive backyard. My dad was a park ranger, so there I had a two thousand acre backyard, which was Wonder, um, but I still felt kind of lonely. I, I think it's just part of the human experience to, at some point in your childhood, kind of realize your inherent separateness from others, consciously or unconsciously. And for me, it was it was about feeling like I couldn't lean on others emotionally too much, and so I found a lot of comfort in nature. Luckily, I had a lot of nature to find comfort in. But loneliness is a is a big international problem these days. Beyond the sense of separateness that kids naturally learn to feel from from not being seen or or met in some way. And and I don't think of that as just a bad thing because I think part of that is inevitable and it's part of the developmental process and God uses everything for our redemption. 
Um, but, but on top of that early human fear of disconnection is also this cultural push for self-sufficiency, right? Um, and I think that makes loneliness worse. Western philosophy has helped shape much of the world now with this emphasis on independence and being self-made as like the highest virtue. Like you're really a success if you stand out like a rock star, like we were singing. Um, especially if you got to the top on your own, which no one ever does. But we like to think we do, or we should, and so we're taught to, to, to go for that. Here I go again on my own. There's a big song in the 80s of my childhood. I think I lost some of my sermon. Oh, yeah. The words are, like a drifter, I was born to walk alone. And the 80s were so great for hair and fashion. But we get all these, we, we get all these messages about independence um, being great. I'm not sure that really steers us. I'm not sure that really serves us because interdependence is what our hearts really need to learn so that new life can grow. But even if you weren't lonely as a child and you didn't get pushed to be an independent rock star, I think that loneliness gets real for many people in just kind of facing the increasing violence in the world. Lots of people lack kind of a uh, community. There's these divisions and systems that are are hard to change that cause people to feel small and and um, not know who to trust. And so many people, especially in wealthier countries like ours, are experiencing this real sense of alienation and disconnection, um, and isolation. And it you know governments are starting to talk about it as a health issue. So the United Kingdom has a minister of loneliness. Yeah, and I could go into all the sociological, you know, reasons that it's becoming this public health epidemic, but we don't have time for that. Um, but, but the United Kingdom has this minister of loneliness. Japan is relying more and more on robots for companionship. Oh, like the, these little seals, um, especially among the elderly in Japan, these, uh, Little seals are just one kind of robot, and you can talk to them and train them, and they talk back to you, and they can even sing to you. And I've heard from more than one psychologist in my limited experience in public health imply that most mental illnesses, like at their core, are related to loneliness. And, and that sounds kind of simplistic, but I think it, there, there's a lot of truth in that, too. All that to say, I think it's high, it's high time for the new creation to unfold. It's high time for an experience of ourselves and each other as not alone, but as deeply connected to God and to each other. And I think as mysterious as it is, we can actually discover this by knowing God who is not some remote imperialistic monarch to just kind of believe in with our minds, but who is, in fact, very involved and personal, is the unifying spirit of love in the world.
and for us in the person of Jesus. And so we're more in relationship than we are alone. We're more in relationship than we are alone. The very nature of God as three in one, I think, expresses this so beautiful, so beautifully. Like God is so surprisingly communal, even in God's self. Um, and so we're, you know, the Bible says we're made in God's image. And if that's true, then it's literally like in our nature to be in community and interdependent too. Even in the very first book of the Bible, in chapter 18, um, it says that the Lord appeared to Abraham. And then the next sentence, it says um, that three people came along. So the Lord appears to Abraham as three people in the in the first book of the Bible. And it's kind of mysterious as these things go. Um, but Abraham bows, he, he senses some kind of holiness here. He, he bows to the, the ground and he gets them something to eat. But he doesn't sit at their table. I, I, I kind of think we needed the incarnation to get, like, in Jesus, to get invited to the table. And so I, I like how the Russian iconographer, Andrei Rublev, in the 15th century, made this drawing, this painting of that scene of Abraham's guests. And like a typical icon, everything in it has meaning. He he drew um, the father here with a gold robe to symbolize like the the father being the source of all life. And um, he made Jesus Jesus the human um has the color blue on there in the middle to represent the, the sea and the sky kind of mirroring each other as the sign of Christ taking on the whole world and displaying two fingers to tell us that he's put spirit and matter, divinity and humanity together in himself for us. And then the green this to represent the Holy Spirit in green to symbolize this fertility of recreation. Richard Rohr calls it divine photosynthesis, um, transforming everything from within by taking light into himself, and that being the role of the Holy Spirit in the world, this, this regenerative recreation. I like that. But my favorite part is the hand of the Spirit there on the table, pointing toward this open and fourth place, um, and even pointing down there to uh, where art historians say that um, Rublev drew a little mirror right there um, as an invitation to the observer to see yourself at the table. And that, that would have been, if he really did that, that would have been a pretty courageous thing, um, pretty strange thing for an icon to have something glam attached to it like that. But I think that really expresses kind of the heart of the Christian revelation that um, we're not just alone, but we're, we're each called into partnership 
with this very alive and communal God who is humbly in fellowship with God's other parts, you know, so interdependent that they're not even eating alone. And even though they have each other, they're still reaching out for fellowship with you and I. And of, of course, I love how this audacious invitation to salvation becomes concrete and touchable in Jesus, but also how it was there at the very beginning. You know, the stories in the beginning of the Bible, God's intention always being to include us, to be with us, not as an afterthought, but as necessary fellow agents of transformation in, in this generative, creative family. So we're more in relationship than we are alone. And I was thinking about this when I watched, bless you, when I watched A Marriage Story this week, too, um, because the whole thing is about um, this wonderful couple trying to get divorced, and they think it's going to be like a clean-cut, kind of easy thing to disentangle their lives. But lo and behold, it's like really hard. They they go through all of this. They spend all of this money and they endure all of these losses throughout the movie, like parenting and career as well as money um, and, you know, heart stuff. Um to try to to not be interdependent, and, and they achieve some of that. They're able to get divorced, but in the end, they still really care about each other. You know, they're still connected. And, like, the end scene is she's running out onto the street to tie his shoe while he's holding their son. And it just kind of reminded me that um, we're more in relationship than we are alone. Even even as our relationships change. And it's so hard sometimes to be more in relationship than we are alone, right? But I think that's how we're wired because that's how God is. God keeps caring in every circumstance. You know, there's never, there's never a cutoff from God. We can't really get divorced. We're always in relationship with God. This picture of medical workers hugging inside in isolation, a coronavirus isolation chamber also like moved me this week about being more in relationship than we are alone. I don't know everything about the virus. Annie could probably tell us. But I, I imagine that, um, you know, every point of contact is, is risky there, you know, because... <clears throat> Many medical workers have died, and and uh, so I don't know how risky it is to hug somebody in the isolation chamber, but um, these these ones seem to think that it's worth it. It's worth it to get that hug and that support to share that, and and I think we need each other like that too. My own sense of loneliness was touched by experiencing God's presence like that too, as an adult. Um, and it came through a friend who who deeply who had deep faith like who deeply knew God and was able to kind of simply mirror my belovedness back to me 
And this this happened in therapy, but um, I think that's kind of, that is what we do with one another in friendship. That's some of the power, most powerful work that we can do with each other in community is, is mirror that belovedness back to each other. Just, just by listening um, and being present. That's, that's really how I experience God's love um, through Lent. And this, I, I think this is really the ministry of reconciliation. We keep coming back to this scene, this, uh, this scene, this passage in Second Corinthians that talks about not seeing each other from a worldly point of view. I like that um, the breakdown of the, the word respect, if you think about it as viewing again, like to take a second look at one another, um, to see that image of Christ in each other, to, to come from a place of knowing the image of Christ in ourselves, and then, um, and then as we relate with one another, we're kind of mirroring that back. I think that's how the work of reconciliation happens. Jesus in us reflects the image of Jesus back. And then we get a chance to see ourselves as who we really are, in God, as in God and in love. And I, I think it sounds kind of like a big idea, but it happens most regularly and normally by our presence, by just showing up for each other. When I became a mom, for example, I realized that what my kids needed most from me was just to be present, to mirror back to them how beloved they are. And I was going to have to keep receiving that gaze from Jesus if I, if I wanted to keep passing it on to somebody else. So I think we need to keep looking, looking to Jesus as Bethany was telling us a few weeks ago. We're more, we're more in relationship than we are alone because Jesus is holding all things together. We need to keep leaning on that, on that into that reality. And it's, it's in that passage. Um, the ministry of reconciliation is that God was reconciling the world to Christ. That's what God does and who God is, the unifier, the connector, the one who draws us in love. Paul starts out his letters, his letter to the Colossians saying that all the fullness of God dwells in Jesus and in him all things hold together. So again, I'm not a scientist, but I, I keep learning a lot from creation. And um, I was thinking this week about the, the smallest building block of matter. Um, even even in the smalling, smallest building blocks of matter, the powers in the relationship um, with the individual parts, the interaction between them, not not the inter- individual parts themselves, like the atom, you know, made up of the neutrons and the protons in, in the middle there, and the electrons swirling around it in orbit. Um, it's in. You can't see the interaction here, but down here it's it's in the interaction that the that the stuff is happening so when um robert oppenheimer 
was making the atomic bomb, he disrupted that flow between the individual parts. He even creepily called his um, testing site in New Mexico Trinity. But anyway, nuclear power isn't in the proton or the, le the electron. It's in the interaction of those parts. And I think that that's where it is for us too. In in we get to we get to know God and experience our connectedness with God and one another as we practice the interaction. That's how we get to um, feel it. In fact, um, some some theologians even define sin as like blocking that flow of interaction like they uh like in the great divorce c.s lewis describes the soul in hell as shouting i don't want help i don't i don't i want to be left alone i don't need anybody and richard Rohr describes the sin against the spirit that can't be forgiven as that insistence on on separation uh, resisting mutuality So I think we um, we practice the presence of God. We have to practice the presence of God to keep invading our sense of loneliness with the reality of God's love and invitation to partnership. Again, Paul Paul's letter to the Corinthians, he, he writes, You are of Christ, and Christ is of God. All things are yours by the Spirit. I should have written that on the screen because I, I want to memorize it. You are of Christ, and Christ is of God. All things are yours by the Spirit. You are his co-workers, his field, his building. I think we, we only know God through participation, through the experience of that relationship. Like God can't be objectively I'm not sure God can be objectively known, right? Like, um, because God is not an object. Um, God is alive. And so we can't, we, I'm not sure we can know God as like a list of rules or a, a tradition to follow even, or a, you know, a statement of doctrinal beliefs. It's more like a relational experience. And conversely, we can't be objectified because God, God, because um, we're alive too, and God wants to be actually be with us, not not um, not somebody else, but you. God wants to be with you. We're called into relationship where there's no rejection, only opportunity. So I want to close with just two ideas. Um, Two suggestions for practicing that that presence of God that kind of in, can in, keep invading our loneliness, and the first one is um, the prayer of the heart. Henry Nouwen calls it. Um, some people call it contemplative prayer or centering prayer. Bless you, and we're gonna have the whole season of Lent coming up to kind of dig in and um, find other ways to practice prayer but it's it's essentially really simple it's just talking to god like you could be talking to god all through this meeting like carrie does on the subway 
Um, and that would be fine. That would be probably even better than listening to my talk. It was just uh, having a conversation with God throughout this meeting. Um, but the prayer, Henry Nouwen has helped me a lot with prayer because he talks about um, letting the mind descend into the heart. And so I tend to get all caught up in, you know, I don't, what I'm worried about, what I'm thinking about. And um, he suggests just using um, a word or a phrase to help your mind keep returning um, to this place of, like, just being and listening. And so uh, I often go back to the Jesus prayer. Jesus, Son of the living God, have mercy on me, a sinner. But you could even just say Jesus. Take a deep breath. And then as your mind as your mind wanders, say it again. Keep yourself returning. We're gonna we're gonna um get a chance to practice that in a minute if you want to. But um I think I I want to encourage you to actually practice it um throughout the week because I think um we need we get turned into the image that we reflect, right? So um, if we let ourselves kind of feel that sense of being with God more, um, we probably will live out of that that place of of um, knowing we're connected, right? James also talks about gazing into the perfect law of freedom and making it our habit. I think prayer can help to take us there. But lastly, in our in our meetings, our our cells and Sunday meetings, especially all of our meetings, are these opportunities to kind of feel the togetherness that is our reality. Um, but cells and Sunday meetings, I think, especially are opportunities to invite each other to make space at the table for each other. Like your presence makes a difference for somebody else. And so when we show up, we are like making space at the table for somebody else. And I think that is deeply like that deeply connects to our purpose as human beings to, 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 I mean, it's literally like God to make space for someone else and that, and we're called into that regenerative work. Um, and, and every cell meeting and every Sunday meeting is an opportunity to be at that table with God and and to feel the love. So we're always in relationship with God. And we're more in relationship than we are alone. But the more we, we choose to consciously sit at this table, I think the more the, the more we come become part of the force that holds all things together with Jesus. Like we, we become connectors and builders and farmers and reconcilers. We, we literally partner with God in this connective, regenerative work. And that's the invitation. So as the team comes, I want to invite you to just um, take a couple minutes in the silence to breathe and rest, and just experience 
being with God. And it don't, don't expect something like epic. Don't expect to feel something epic or something wild to happen because that rarely does. But it's an opportunity to let your mind rest in the heart. And I, I want to um, read you a little inspiration from now and to go there. He says, when we learn to descend with our mind into our heart, then all those who have become part of our lives are led into the healing presence of God and touched by God at the center of our being. We are speaking here about a mystery for which words are inadequate. It is the mystery that the heart, which is the center of our being, is transformed by God into his own heart, a heart large enough to embrace the entire universe. Through prayer, we can carry in our heart all human pain and sorrow, all conflicts and agonies, all torture and war, all hunger, loneliness, and misery, not because of some great psychological or emotional capacity, but because God's heart has become one with ours. And here we catch sight of the meaning of Jesus' words. Shoulder my yoke and learn from me. For I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. You will find rest for your souls. Yes, my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus invites us to accept his burden, which is the burden of the whole world. A burden that includes human suffering in all times and places. But this divine burden is light and we can carry it when our heart is with gentle and humble heart of our Lord. Thanks for listening to Circle of Hope's Sunday Meeting Podcast. If you want to talk about it or get connected to a cell, you can find one under our Connect drop-down at circleofhope.net.